go across the sea for me to see to my love there she goes above the misty hills to the clouds that are above she rides high on disco lights but i fear that she smells my fear I once danced in a rainbow below the earth Only once, but nothing was more clear That I must continue to fight for the divine Right to die the tunnel It is far too bright Man, it seems out of sight Hello, listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. Mercury is outside, and this is Commune College. No, it is not. What is it? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. This is the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not our usual recording time because it is almost noon, mm-hmm. um, and we have been very lazy today. Yes, we have. Uh, how was your last couple weeks? It was fine. Fine? Yeah. New job is treating you well. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. You've that been, part is good, yeah. You've been, you played poker last night, is that right? Well, no, we ended up playing Jackbox and card games okay. instead, so we never got to poker. Oh. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> and did you have fun at least? Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Jackbox's murder party. And then you've been out to like two ball games. Two basketball games, one women and one men's, and okay. that was a lot of fun. Who won? The men won. The woman didn't, and oh. I want to talk about it. It was very angry. I'm sorry. It was very upsetting. It was a very bad <laughs> game. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not. Um, but I still enjoyed going to them. Good. Mm-hmm. And then you've got something coming up today, right? I'm going to Cincinnati to see a friend. You're going to Cincinnati. So that's why I was like 2, 4, because I need to leave yeah. at 2 to get there by 4, or 2.30, really. Yeah. But I'll be back tonight, so don't worry. Okay. <laughs> that's the plan. That's a decent drive. That's like it is, but yeah, I like driving. I have to go to Valvoline though because I need to get my old oh. before I go. So I was like, oh shoot, I gotta go do that in your new car. Yes, oh. I don't want to ruin it by not getting the oil change. Right, I need right. The oil change yeah. and Valvoline shouldn't take long. Hopefully, we'll see. I should go there after here. I guess I'll change <laughs> out my pajamas just in case. Maybe. <laughs> um. Do you want to get into this week's episode? Let's do it. How much do you know about Alberta Jones? Very little, if at all. Okay. Uh, so Alberta Jones was a uh, Louisville-based African-American attorney and civil rights icon. Uh, she was one of the first African-American women to pass the Kentucky Bar and the first woman appointed city attorney by or city attorney in Jefferson County. Ooh. Did you know that? I did not. Okay. Uh, she was also murdered in 1965. Shut up. Nope. Wait, uh, I feel like you've mentioned this before. So what had happened was Mary and I were talking about the uh, podcast back okay. when we were still like planning out what we were going to do. And I was like, I'm, I want to do that. Um, the attorney that was murdered. Yes. And she was like, I want to do the attorney that was murdered. But then she's never here. So yeah. I'm just going to take it from her. Um, yeah. 
This okay. This does sound familiar now that you mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, we've had this in conversation. We, we've had this conversation. Yeah. Uh, so Jones graduated from Louisville Central High School. Uh, for everyone in Louisville, asking what high school she went to, um, she went to <laughs> Louisville Municipal College, uh, and she merged. Uh, LMC later merged with the University of Louisville. Um, so she basically got a U of L degree before U uh, of L would have accepted someone uh, who was African American. Uh, she attended the University of Louisville Law School for one year, transferring to Howard University School of Law for her degree, graduating fourth in her class. Nice. After graduating, she began practicing law and took on a prominent client early in her career, a young boxer who you may know, who started Muhammad out Ali. his career as Cassius Clay yeah. <laughs> before changing his name to Muhammad Ali. Uh, she introduced him to trainer Archie Moore of California, um, and all of this was before he was a big-name boxer. And in 1965, she was appointed to the Louisville Dom Domestic Relations Court, uh, where she was prosecutor. Um, <clears throat> she marched during the uh, 1963 Louisville marches. Um, she formed the Independent Voters Association of Louisville, and she was very involved with the Louisville chapter of the Urban League, where I was just two weeks ago to do their taxathon. Uh, she rented voting machines and taught African Americans how to use the, the machines to vote. And she was also active in the National Association, uh, National Association for the Advancement, Advancement of Colored People, uh, the NAACP. Um, and another one of her causes was a fundraising effort to pay the medical bills of a young man, James Bulky Welch, who lost his arms saving his dog who was trapped under a train. Oh. Uh, she auctioned a car to buy him a prosthetic arm. Who? Albert Jones oh. auctioned a car to buy him a prosthetic like arm. Yeah. Oh. Uh, her sister remembers her sister receiving a phone call from a friend who was facing a lawsuit and was asking Jones to come to her home. But because it was 10 at night, Jones told the friend that there was nothing that could be done at the time. She did not want her friend to her friends who were less educated than her to think that she was above them. Mm -hmm. So the friend said, since you've got this position, you've gotten so uppity that you don't have any time for your friends. And Alberta said, okay, I'm coming. Ugh. Uh, Jones wanted to prove her loyalty by going to her friend's house, but not before what proved to be an eerie final conversation with her sister. Her sister said, I left her on the couch. Uh, I left her on the couch reading a magazine about the Kennedy getting assassinated. The last thing I said to her, which still hurts, because she sat there and she said, I hope I don't get assassinated. And I said, you don't need to worry about it. You're not the president of the United States. Um, the person who identified her body that night was also a young lawyer at the time and shared an office with Jones on West Broadway, Kentucky State Representative Daryl Owens. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the worst experience of my life, he said. Years later, after the case had been closed, Remington interviewed Jones's other colleagues and relatives. Um, I got a copy of the case file, and that's when I realized that it was more than just, you know, um, a case. Um, <clears throat> LMPD at that time did have one suspect, but because he was never charged, his name was never released to the media, um, and so Waze was not able to report on it. Um, her body was found um, in the Ohio River. However, her car was found several blocks from the Shermanman Bridge with blood inside 
and her autopsy determined that she had been subjected to severe, uh, several severe blows to the head oh, before geez. her body was dumped. Um, and her killing has, to this day, never been solved. Are you serious? I'm serious. The investigation was closed in the 1960s because of lack of evidence. However, it was funded in 2017 to be reopened under the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act, which provides $13.5 million annual funds to the Department of Justice, the FBI, and state and local law enforcement agencies to prosecute pre-1970 killings. Oh, wow. So her case was closed, but it is technically still open to this day. Yeah, but have they started looking into it again? I have no and idea. And do we have any theories on who it could be? Nobody? I do not have any theories. I'm curious who the one suspect was. That's crazy. Yeah. And we don't know his name because how, yeah, he how was never charged. old was she? Um, she was born in 1930. Yeah, she was born in 1930. Um, and she was... 65? Uh, she was... Yeah, killed in 1965. So she was 35. So she was about 34 to 35. Damn. That's awful. Mine's a different turn. I thought I'd talk about my favorite subject ever, Pokemon. Pokemon. <laughs> I'll give you a brief history of Pokemon. Okay. Rachel I'm, doesn't like Pokemon for anyone who's, who's really? wondering at her laugh. So... I'm going to just basically read from this article okay. because it was pretty spot on. So this is the story of how one Japanese man's hobby became a global phenomenon that shows no sign of stopping. <laughs> we thought it would for a short second. Fingers were crossed, but that came back full of a vengeance. <laughs> That's for sure. I just finished playing the new Pokemon yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. And Pokemon Go, oh my god. Okay, so when it comes to Pokemon, you're either completely aware of it and have been following the games, the anime, the movies, the trading cards, and everything else, or are completely bewildered by the Pokemon mania that's <laughs> gripping the internet right now. Yes. Um, regardless of which camp you're in, sit back, grab your beverage, and a choice of choice and relax, because we're going to take you a trip in time to the very beginning of Pokemon. Okay. I love this article. Um, Pokemon is short for... Pocket Monsters. Yep. I did not actually know that. <laughs> the original Japanese name. The franchise has its roots in a gaming magazine in the early 1980s in Japan, Game Freak, started mm -hmm. by Satoshi Ta Tajiri and Ken Sugimori. Tajiri was the writer, and, while Sugimori was the illustrator. Okay. They soon realized that the arcade scene at the time wasn't too hot anymore to decide to develop games themselves. This included games that were published by Nintendo on the NES and Game Boy like Yoshi, and even games for Sega like Magical Toronto Kun on the Mega Drive, the Se uh, Sega's console. Okay. And its time as a developer, Game Freak had its title published by the likes of even Sony back then. When Tajiri and company put forth the idea of Pokemon to Nintendo, though, the publishers didn't really get it. However, Tajiri was given the benefit of the doubt thanks to the success of Game Freak's previous titles, and he worked under the mentorship of Shigeru Miyamoto, mm -hmm. Miyamoto to create Pocket Monsters, Red and Green, a game that combined the collecting and trading of monsters, yep. and thus began a franchise that went on to become the second largest gaming franchise ever. In case you are wondering, Mario is the largest, and also happens to be owned by Nintendo. So February 26, 1996, marks the deb debut of the Pokemon franchise in the form of both 
those games on the Game Boy in Japan. Um, at its heart, Pocket Monsters Red and Green was a very basic Japanese role-playing game. Right. You play as a Pokemon trainer traveling the world and collecting the ubiquitous little monsters inspired by Tajiri's childhood love for insect collection. Okay. And training them in battles with other Pokemon. So that's why you go through the bug part first. The what part? The, the bug part. Oh, yeah. You go through a, a small forest and it's mm. just filled with bug Pokemon. Bugs. Bugs. So you start out with a single Pokemon. You mm -hmm. get to pick one of three. And one aim is to catch them all. To get all 151 Pokemon, however, you have to trade with other players. Right. Pokemon Red and Pokemon Green were two different or were different versions, as it were, and each had few Pokemon exclusive to it. Yeah. Players could use Nintendo's Game Boy Link cable to, well, link up and trade Pokemon, as well as engage in battles with each other. The turn-based Pokemon battles were the other major aspect of the gaming. Playing the Final Fantasy Legend on the Game Boy has showed Tajiri that the system could take more than just action games. There mm -hmm. was a place for role-playing games, too. And so in red and green, you also travel to different Pokemon gyms and battle the gym leaders to win badges, a process that gets more challenging as you go along. Yep. In the end, you get to face off against the best Pokemon trainers in the land and also defeat an evil mega corporation. Most Japanese role-playing games in the genre end up having the same basic plot, really. Right. Red and green went on to sell millions of copies. The trading and collecting mentality to get to 100% completion is what made the games more social, as in seen in the current craze over Pokemon Go yep. on iOS and Android. The philosophy of two games per release in the main series continues even today. Pokemon Sun and Moon released in, or released in November. Or when was this written? Sword and Shield were the, the last This two. is in 2016. Yeah. So, so it's saying like they saw the same concept. Yep. Not to go back to where I was. <laughs> Each generation introduced more and more Pokemon with the number up to, do you know? 400. It said 721 today. Okay. Sun and Moon will give us yet some more, but this is four years ago. Right. The important mainline releases are Pokemon Red and Green. And Blue, a special edition released later on the Game Boy Gold and Silver mm -hmm. um, on the Game Boy Color, Ruby and Sapphire on the Game Boy Advance, Diamond and Pearl mm -hmm. on the Nintendo DS, Black and White, um, and finally X and Y on the 3DS systems. And okay. now Sword and Shield is on the Switch. There we go, Sword and Shield. There have been multiple remakes and re-releases as well. Pokemon Red and Green were so successful that there were several special re-releases and limited editions. Shocking. One of them was Pokemon Blue, only available as a mail-order title in Japanese. Remember mail-order catalogs? Yep, those were still a thing back then. In Koro, 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 Koro Comics, <laughs> a monthly magazine, plays an important part in Pokemon history. Even today, said magazine had exclusive information about new Pokemon and the latest games set to release like in winter. Pokemon Blue saw a full release for the Game Boy at retail, along with special edition Pokemon Yellow. Yellow also sees Pikachu, the most famous Pokemon and brand figures for the franchise on the cover. It was inspired by the super popular Pokemon anime that aired around the same time, leading to some changes for the base game. Right. For one, you had to start off with Pikachu instead of picking one of the three starter Pokemons in the previous releases. While the Pokemon usually stay in their Pokeballs, ha ha ha, Pokemon are captured using Pokeballs that you carry around. How exactly they fit in is a bit of a mystery. Pikachu pocket dimension inside the Pokeballs. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, 
Now I can go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Pikachu behaved differently. He refused to stay inside and followed you around just like Ash Ketchum's Pikachu did in the anime. Mm-hmm. Ketchum was the main character in the anime. Gotta catch them all, am I right? I'll just show myself out. That's what he said. <laughs> Pokemon Yellow redesigned the main player character to match Ketchum from the anime as well as adding up the Pikachu character along with a number of other characters in the game. Interestingly, Ketchum's name in the Japanese version of the anime is Satoshi after... Tajiri's, after Tajiri, the game's creator. Okay. The popularity of the anime Yellow, I, I believe, led to Pikachu becoming the most recognizable and loved Pokemon out there. Pocket Monster's success led to North America getting the games in 1998 for the Game Boy as Pokemon Red and Blue. Mm-hmm. These few years in the public saw Pokemon go from a game about a hobby to a worldwide phenomenon. Okay. It was also time for a proper sequel to the Game Boy game, to the Game Boy games, to go the next level. And the advent of the Game Boy of the Game Boy Color meant a new generation of Pokemon games would arrive. Pokemon Gold and Silver arrived in Japan in late 1999 and followed nearly a year later in North America. Mm-hmm. These games introduced many new mechanics, obviously also including new Pokemon, a hundred of them to be exact. Basically, so I'm going to go into like how popular it is. So Gold and Silver also led you to breed Pokemon and had a real-time day and night system. Mm-hmm. It outsold Pokemon Yell's record sales with 1.4 million copies combined in a week, the fastest-selling video games ever at that point. At the same time, Pokemon Stadium, a spinoff for the Nintendo 64, was also the best-selling home console game. Mm-hmm. This cemented Pokemon as a monster of a franchise <laughs> that would show no signs of slowing down. That's terrible. By 2010, Gold and Silver had sold a combined 23 million units. Each game sold millions of copies, and the next generation Pokemon's title arrived in 2002 in Japan uh, of the Game Boy Advance. Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire introduced double battles and went on to become the best-selling game of the Game Boy Advance. The fourth generation of games arrived with Nintendo's new handheld system, the DS. The system boasted dual screen and had a new engine for the Pokemon games. Diamond and Pearl continued the tradition of adding new Pokemon and tweaking mechanics while retaining the gameplay people knew and loved. The DS also saw the release of HeartGold and Soul Silver, which used the Diamond and Pearl engine for enhanced versions of Gold and Silver. Blah, 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 blah. Just basically talking how it's re-released and re-released and re-released, and it yep. still sells millions and millions. Yep. Um, we'll go down a little further. Pokemon is much more than just games, though. Over the past two decades, it has evolved into a social and media phenomenon. The franchise ended up with a hugely successful and long-running anime from 1997 in Japan with more than 900 episodes. And the anime has its own spin-offs, Pokemon Chronicles, Pokemon Sunday, and more. The anime follows... Ash Ketchum, as he works his way up the ranks in Pokemon leagues across different regions. Mm-hmm. Outside the anime on TV, there have been 18 movies and a few full-length TV specials. Speaking of movies, Legendary Pictures just announced the live-action Detective Pikachu movie, which is at now out. I and on Netflix, it. I haven't seen it either. I think uh, Ryan Reynolds yeah. voices him. I think Cameron said it was really fun. Yeah, but I could be I'm going to... I don't know if he was joking or not. Yeah. Um, outside of the big and small screens, as you may remember, there was a trading card game that was also a huge success for the brand. The card game in turn saw multiple versions and re-releases all over the world, yes, again. Um, the brand grew so big that there were even Pokemon-themed parks or Poke-Parks in Japan and Taiwan. There are themed cafes called Pokemon Cafes across the world and dedicated to Pokemon stores that sell exclusive merchandise. 
it's hard to find anyone who hasn't at least heard of the franchise in some form. Right. It's not really popular in India just because it's not as uh, advertised there. Okay. Briar out there. So that brings us to what's happened in the latter half of 2016, which is when this came out. Um, Niantic, the developer of Ingress, worked with the Pokemon company to release Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. an augmented reality game for smartphones and tablets. As you may know, if you haven't been laying around around Pokemon Go, you would actually go outside and catch Pokemon in real life. Yep. It was so big. Everyone had that fucking app. I've still got it on my phone. I don't, my I brother don't still does it. He it. still catches it. <laughs> um, and it gives you augmented reality of the Pokemon in real life. Right. It has been very successful with just by the end of this year, 30 million users. I'm pretty sure it's way more now. Yeah. And and if you remember, people used it like for political reasons, like they had Pokestops at um, polls. Yeah. yeah. Pokemon go to the polls. Um, so because of this, Nintendo stock market valuation soared above even the likes of Sony gaining $9 billion in just five days after their release. Damn. <laughs> so, with Pokemon Go taking the world by storm, the franchise may have finally settled into the mobile space as well. It has earned thirty-five million in revenue already, without launching in two of the biggest smartphone markets, India and China, as of twenty sixteen. The brief history of Pokemon is an important lesson on many levels. You see how a small hobby for a single person, when coupled with the right artist and director, can lead to a global phenomenon that shows no signs of stopping. You know how there are people who buy a gaming console just to play one or two game series like FIFA or Call of Duty. Right. On the portable side of things, there the parallel exists where people buy handled systems just to play Pokemon Go. Yeah. Or the Pokemon game. Sorry, not Pokemon Go. That was literally the first game that I bought when I got the Switch. See? <laughs> So Pokemon is here to stay, so you might as well get used to and take a crack at catching them all. But I'm going to say hard pass. And that is a brief history on Pokemon. Have you heard any of the recent controversies? I don't know. Absolutely not. um, So when they released uh, Sword and Shield, they cut a lot of Pokemon out of the Pokedex just for... um, memory's sake oh and so that 700 number that you threw out that was before before they cut the, it. the uh they had a dumb name for it i want to say it was like pokedex exit or something That's like that pokedex it was exit. it was really dumb Stupid. name yeah um so that happened uh they just announced the um the expansion packs so there's going to be dlc for the the two for the switch mm. Um, so they're gonna, they took away like 300 Pokemon and now they're going to add more Pokemon Mm -hmm. to the 400 that they cut down. Um, so that was a big controversy. Um, there's something else that recently happened. Uh, oh, Humble Bundle just released their own Pokemon like, yep. Humble, Humble Bundle. Oh, Bundle. Bundle. Uh, they just released a Pokemon like called Temtem. You catch monsters and then fight with them. And apparently it's very, very difficult. Ah. So it's like the older Pokemon games rather than the newer ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So that's all I I want to say about (laughs) Pokemon. (laughs) That was fun. Good, I'm glad. That was the complete opposite of what I did. Yeah, it was. Um, we're gonna get out of here. Rachel has to go get her oil changed, mm-hmm. and Mercury needs to be rescued from the backyard. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I have an author page up now on Facebook, uh, author Andrew Massey. Go give me a like if you're feeling up to it, just, uh, just to help pump those numbers up a little. Um, we redid the website um, just last month, uh, so it's now at uh, absintheactivismarts.com. The WordPress link is no longer uh, there. Um, it just redirects to absintheactivismarts.com. Uh, but we've got pages for uh, my writing, um, uh, Florin Keitler's acting page, um, Joshua Pulbrook's music page, um, Katie White's artwork, and uh, if you have ever wanted to just sit down and binge listen to uh, uh, Armchair Apocrypha, <laughs> we have a page where all of the episodes are in one place. So uh, go ahead and uh, check out the new website. Um, the only thing that doesn't work on it is the contact us page. Uh, I still haven't gotten that set up, uh, but I'm working on it. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, go ahead and send an email to absentactivismarts at gmail.com. It's lovely. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you all next week. We love you and have a great week. Under the tongues of men lie the simple truths of terror But my love's eyes make bright the night skies and clears the stormy weather In the rain I'm like a wet dog and my hunger it intensifies But the thunder clears all my mind sounds and the fear it is justified the lightning scorches the plains of fantasies go up and flame the distinguished author goes insane but my love she remains just the same